Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. I'm Steve, joined as always by my developer co-host Blue. How's it going, Blue? It's going well. I think it's going well. We are, How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. We've had a public holiday week here in Japan, so both Blue and I have enjoyed some hopeful time off Blue and played some games and chilled out. Yeah, possibly chilled out too much. I mucked up my sleep schedule ever so slightly, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm back to normal, I think. Oh, the constant struggle of the sleep cycle for gamers. Uh, let's jump into the news this week, and we're going to kick things off with some Blizzard news. Feels like Blizzard are constantly in the news at the moment. And yeah. the reports have come out that they're continuing to lose millions of players, alongside dozens of staff, but that's not mentioned here. <laughs> but they're losing a, a lot of player base, uh, but they are working on new games. So this was part of its financial reporting. Activision Blizzard has said that Blizzard specifically saw 27 million monthly active users in the first quarter of 2021, and that's down from 29 million uh, the previous quarter. So in the last three years, Blizzard has actually lost almost 29% of its overall active player base, which is a huge amount, but when you consider how big WoW still is and Blizzard seems to be doing fine financially, that just kind of shows how how big uh, WoW is. And then, of course, you got Overwatch there and people are still playing Diablo. Like, you're one of those people that are clocking in almost every time there's a new season these days. Yep. Um, so they haven't released a brand new game since Overwatch came out in May 2016. So that's also important to keep in mind here uh, because they're not including releases such as World of Warcraft Classic um, or the the abysmal Warcraft 3. Was that Warcraft 3 Classic? I don't know. What uh, Warcraft. Three reforged, I think. Yeah. Is what so it, it seems yeah. as part of that, they're not including those as uh, brand new releases. Um, yeah. But we do know that they're working on new games. They're specifically working on Overwatch Two, which the game director left last week in mm-hmm. the middle of development. Yeah. Uh, but we we just had Diablo Immortals is currently soft launched out in Australia and potentially a few other regions that I'm not sure about. And has actually been getting quite a lot of positive buzz. Yep. Um, I've downloaded it. I haven't played it yet. Uh, and then, of course, Diablo 4 is in the wings, uh, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, so Blizzard losing losing quite a significant um, player base alongside losing a chunk of significant uh, talent. Um, how do you take this, Blue? Because you're, you're quite the Blizzard fan. Mm. Um, 20, 27 million uh, active players four ye- five years on from your last like full proper big release is still a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. The the problem here is that Activision's been breathing down Blizzard's neck for three years publicly, which who knows how long that's been going on behind the scenes. Um and all of this kind of lends to the the big publisher looking in and going, that's not enough. You're not doing enough. Why aren't you pulling in over 100 million players on just one game? I know you did it once before. But, that you know, like, that's not fair. And that's never been fair to say something like that. And I learned about an analogy very young in life of, like, if you're flying a plane and you're starting to, like, and lose altitude, the thing you have to do is not burn harder to to maintain it's to even out it's to let is to just accept the loss of some altitude balance out and then you'll actually end up saving fuel in the long run 
I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's burning. The company's burning very hard right now. And what's resulted is that people have left. And it, it feels like there's this massive drive. And I don't know where it's coming from. Whether it's from Blizzard itself, its higher-ups feeling that this isn't good enough. Or the more likely scenario is that Activision is just mucking around a lot. Because this is very unlike Blizzard. Blizzard doesn't... It, you know, when we were growing up, Blizzard wasn't the company that went out of its way to struggle to get people interested in its stuff. It released things when it was ready, and then it drew yeah. in attention because it was a good quality product. The thing the that's time. definitely happening over there for sure is there's a big culture shift. Yeah. We we saw a lot of uh, turmoil over the... Uh, was it a couple of years ago? And I can't remember which game it was. It might have been Overwatch or StarCraft, but there were the, the Hong Kong gamers and the protests at Blizzard and people like refusing to... Yeah, it was Hearthstone, yeah. Um, you know, refusing to to work after that and wanted mm-hmm. the company to take a stand yep. and weren't happy with those results. Yep. Like, it's been... It's not just game sales and not just key staff nope. leaving. There's definitely a clash of ideals mm-hmm. and, you know, like... The, the cynic in me is definitely like that's got to come down to the pressure from Activision, right? Um, this, yeah, that's that's the cynical view. And I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm just not ruling out that Blizzard's heads are fossils, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this culture, this culture clash has continued. Last, just last week, Blizzard came under horrible fire for a very very bad topic which is that it's hearthstone scene is extremely toxic towards female gamers and that blizzard is doing nothing to promote um inclusivity in in this um in this area and this isn't just like some touchy-feely oh why aren't female gamers this is like a lot of first-hand reports from the uh professional female um players who were um so there's this program in in hearthstone called like the grandmaster program like uh from players who were in that both male and female from um data hard data reports of like how much uh female players are being represented across their official events like their invitational inn invitational um Mm -hmm. events and stuff like that and you know it made this promise that yes we will try to do better uh in the future but Blizz Hearthstone saw um, a female world champion like two or three years ago, and at the time, I point, I like made a mental note of like this should be huge news. Blizzard didn't move on that at all. Like, why wasn't that person's face on a lot of their marketing at that point? Right, because female gamers make up more than fifty percent of like the mobile game market. I think just barely over. Um, why isn't Hearthstone trying to come? Why is it such a male-dominated game for the fact that it's on mm. mobile? And yeah, it, it's it's super super interesting. Uh, that you are absolutely right. This is a matter of culture. And while they're so hungry for um players, because that's what it still feels like, they're also ignoring demographics that feel like easy wins. They they chuck so much money into hype cycles because they still do because they're still Activision Blizzard but it's the same stuff that they've been doing for decades now and they haven't like shifted their mentality having said that I do think that you know uh, in this article we see it states that it lost basically all of its leadership for Hearthstone a few years ago I actually think the new team has done tremendous work and has pulled the game around and they've walked back quietly 
some of the decisions that was holding the game back. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's super, super good. Yeah, it's kind of like we but, were talking last last week about, yeah. you know, Nintendo went through this. It seems like Street Fighter's team's going through this, where yeah. sometimes bringing in that new blood and, and letting the old guard move on can actually save and innovate a product, mm. you know? Yeah, one of the problems was how stale Hearthstone felt at times because it had this core set idea that never rotated. And the cars that were powerful in there became made it very hard to feel any kind of innovation between sets. They've walked that back, and it's now following a more magic-style thing where there's going to be a core set that's free for players to have. So that was the worry. People would come back and be like, I don't recognize any of these cards. One of the silliest ways to phrase that like worry ever. But I understand it. It's a casual game, right? And they, they're they walking that back and now saying, yeah, people are going to get the core set for free if they have progress, and that's fine. But we're going to change this kind of idea of what the core set is. That's really good. It's moving the game forward. So, I don't know. I don't really know what to think about this other than this kind of report makes me feel less sure of Overwatch yeah. 2. Uh, yeah. And I'm... Not not so much the case for Diablo 4, because I was already... I, I think they've taken Diablo as a franchise in a very weird direction. Um, so, already has... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I would feel that a lot of people, just given the... Um, and I know that you'll probably disagree with this, but them coming out and being like, yep, Overwatch 2, Overwatch 1 players will get all the maps, and like it's going to be just mm. kind of like... The, the perception is it's just an expansion, really, because it's still compatible with the old game, which is not how games are released traditionally anymore. Like, I feel like there's been a lot of doubt on the mainstream around this game, and then to have the director leave, and then to have all yeah. the other things that are happening at Blizzard and this on top of it, like, it definitely doesn't bode well uh, for that project. Whereas I feel Diablo is almost a bit divorced from Blizzard in many ways. Like, a lot of people who don't know Blizzard know Diablo, and... I feel like they could, except for put out a mobile. I mean, but they've turned that around, right? Like, I feel like even <laughs> yeah. even the hatred towards the mobile thing, like reviewers who are very down on it have come out and be like, this is actually pretty damn good. Like, I feel like they could do almost anything and it'll get, it'll be okay, whether it's received well or not. It's another matter. That's the pedigree um, of the developer there, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Everyone who works at Blizzard is just so talented. And one of the things that causes that to happen is that they're this company with this legacy and talented developers want to work for them. So, so long as at some point someone in management is fighting for the freedom of a development team to do what they believe is good, then there's a, there's a future for this company. Like, can you imagine the world where someone up, up high went, we've sunk too much time and money into Project Titan. You have yeah. to release it. What that world well, would mean, look that's, like? That's where, um, you know, in a lot of ways you could say they made the mistake of getting in bed with Activision, right? Because now they have that force. Yeah. But, you know, um, who who knows, maybe Tencent walks in the door and buys Blizzard and saves them, you know, and it's like, you're Blizzard, you do whatever you want. We'll just collect the paychecks like that could be a potential. Sega. Somehow Sega scrounges up the money to own Blizzard. That would be amazing. <laughs> you know, the, I, I would like a publisher notoriously known for like backing off. Tencent does like its name on things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I will say this. Uh, I don't feel like this drop in player base is players losing faith in the company. I think this is a natural thing, which which is startling um, it to, to me. And then I remember not everyone reads gaming news like I do, right? Like, so this is one of those, like, 
I would expect more, but not many people do care. So no, this isn't like I don't think many people care about the change in leadership in Blizzard. I actually don't think that that kind of thing at the numbers we're seeing leadership change doesn't affect the gamer, the yeah, players. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many people stopped playing Activision games because of the Bobby Kotick stuff? Like, no one. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like very like, few, very few. And I bet the people on Twitter who said they were still are playing Activision games is the harsh reality of it all. Yeah. So they're, they have years and years of goodwill remaining. And I don't mean, like, goodwill as in, oh, they've done good things for the community. I mean, goodwill as in Blizzard has just put out good games for two decades. And they will continue to put out good games. So long as they keep doing that, their player base is going to be gigantic. 27 million like concur- um, unique users like consistently is such an absurd number. <laughs> but that's yeah. not enough today somehow for some reason. You know? Mm. Uh, yeah. They burn the marketing train a bit too hard on both ends. Speaking of companies that burn the marketing train, we're going over the City Project Red. Mm. We obviously have had many issues with Cyberpunk and continue to have more issues. Uh, but this one is coming in that the director of The Witcher 3 has left CD Project Red following investigations into workplace bullying. I'm going to absolutely butcher this name. Yeah. Conrad Tomaskowitz, Tomaskowitz uh, who was the... Uh, Director of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt has resigned from the company after an investigation uh, focusing on him for workplace bullying that apparently had been under, like that investigation had been going for uh, months at this point um, and ultimately found him not guilty. However, he has stepped, he's decided to step aside. Uh, Bloomberg did a bit of a report on this, sharing the email that he sent to staff. Uh, the quotes from that are, a lot of people are feeling fear, stress or discomfort when working with me. I am sorry for all the bad blood that I've caused, uh, noting that the departure had been made in agreement with the studio's board. So I don't know if that means that he was asked to step aside. Uh, but anyway, the, the quote uh, continues. I'm going to continue working on myself. Changing behavior is a long and arduous process, but I'm not giving up and I hope to change. He began his career at CD Projekt Red back in 2004 as a junior tester um, and then rose to be the director of The Witcher 3. Mm. Um and he was a secondary director and head of production on Cyberpunk 2077 and was expected to play a major role in the next Witcher game. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is just another another one of these stories that continue to crop up. And like, on the one hand, it's depressing to just see this stuff happening every month at this point. But it's also a good thing that, yep. um, you know, people are being forced to be accountable for their actions. Mm. Um, now, obviously we don't know exactly what happened here and like the investigation found him not guilty, but you know, it's good to, um, air these grievances, hopefully mm. find a resolution and hopefully the person uh, at hand can, uh, as it sounds like he is going to work on himself and become a better person and move on to, uh, to a new, a new position somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just very little information about this, but it's just another another one of these stories that uh, hopefully brings some positive change in the industry. Fingers crossed. A, a director on a game in a studio notorious for crunch. Yeah. Um, even if even if he was the kindest person in the world, people were still crunching. Yeah, right? I mean, so. there's that, and there's also like there's not excusing like obviously we don't know the behavior that no. happened here, but no. like. Under those conditions, when you have the pressure of being the director yeah. um, or, or a lead even mm-hmm. uh, on a project like that, like I can see how the expectation on you is, uh, you know, um, 
uh, unrealistic and then you're pushing that onto your team yeah right so i can see a space where the the environment breeds this behavior mm. and i think that's actually a a bigger problem that needs to be addressed um yes. rather than i'm not saying individuals like i don't know i, I feel like i'm damned if i do damned if i don't whatever i say here mm. but it's this thing where like yes we should call out individuals that are doing these sorts of things but also we should examine what leads yeah. The, to this behavior the context is it the it. person or is it the environment and the pressure and the way the game's made that cause a lot of this to happen bit of both for sure um you you want someone who is committed to the game but also willing to put your team first and willing to like fight back right and say no this timeline cannot work yeah. but that's a rare individual i don't know that i could be a person like that in that situation you know yeah so it's not clear cut it's it's not even at these cut, indie so. indie uh studios and stuff right it's like well it's for the love of your game and like if we just do mm. this we get it out and we yeah. make enough money to make the next and like the expectation is you do it because like this is your job and your livelihood and then and and you know worse slash better yet chances are you love working on this yeah and that's one of the yeah, like exactly. hardest parts of this industry it's like you love working on games most everyone in this industry does and so it's yeah. easier to ask for more when some of the better things to do is to ask for less in times of crunch and make sure that what you're getting is quality yeah, absolutely um, so that might be part of why um i'm not going to try the name conrad was found not guilty right because mm-hmm. they just ruled that yeah with circumstances around it not fully his fault and then recognizing that the behavior still happened so we don't know for sure um good that culture change is hopefully happening but i do hope they recognize where that culture shape uh, culture came from in the first place because you got to change yeah. the cultural pressures or cultural change yeah and this place. is all speculation too precisely like, in our opinion just yeah. to be clear. <laughs> I will say I don't think um, allegations like this come out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So. Absolutely. Um, but it is something that I think about a lot um, just in terms of, yeah, the the cycle of making a game and mm. the pressures that come from all directions that can cause these kinds of yeah. situations. Precisely. Uh, moving on to something way lighter. Uh, do you know Flashback Blue? Do you remember never Flashback? Never heard of it. You've actually. never heard of Flashback. Yeah. It was a game in 1992. Okay. Uh, it... Do you know another world? Have you heard of another world? Yes, so I do. I'm fairly certain it was made by the same team uh, and it was kind of like a pseudo. It wasn't a sequel, but it was like connected in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I remember playing this on my Super Nintendo way back in the day and it had this like really just badass rotoscoping, just crazy visuals and stuff. Uh, they've announced that there's going to be a sequel uh, coming uh, next year to PC and console. Uh, it'll be in time for Flashback's 30th anniversary, and it's going to be aptly named Flashback 2. Don't know anything else cool. about it. Don't know if it's going to have the rotoscoped uh, art style, um, but, you know, I know there's a lot of fans out there of the original Flashback, um, and apparently there was a sequel to it already, this article says, called Fade to Black, which I've never heard of. 1995, um, but it was yeah. A, yeah, it was a 3D third-person adventure, apparently. Um, so, but this is a direct sequel to Flashback. Um, so, yeah, just a cool little throwback there. Um, mm. Since you don't know the game, I guess you've got nothing to say about it. Um, but we're going to move on to it has started, Blue. It the, has. The trial of the it century has. for the games industry. It has. Uh, Epic versus Apple. The, the thing that started all of this stuff, um, for those who don't know, uh, basically 
the, and like I am paraphrasing, I'm probably going to get things wrong because it's been happening for a long time now, ever since we started this podcast. But basically Epic was claiming that Apple uh, take uh, like a monopoly on the market and take too much of a cut. Uh, so their cut was 30%. Um, and like, uh, because they were taking a, a markup of all of the um, uh, in-app purchases for Fortnite, they were not happy about that. And they went on this like crusade where they parodied Apple's famous 1984 commercial uh, to talk about Apple being big brother in this instance and taking all of developers money. Apple then came out and did a development program where they would take less of a cut for people earning under a million uh, dollars, um, which is great for indie developers for sure. Absolutely. But Epic doesn't qualify for that. Um, so I feel like that kind of maybe backfired on them, but then other companies, uh, Microsoft just announced that they are going to be, uh, taking this. So I think Epic take 13% or it's around 13%, I believe. And uh, Xbox just announced last week that they will be matching that and taking 15% of all PC releases in the Xbox store from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, not console releases, but I think you could argue because they provide the hardware there. But anyway, um, but you know, things have been changing, but this court case has just started and it opened up with a public phone line. So because, you know, both of these companies are publicly traded and all of that sort of thing, yeah. um, there's a public line for the trial that's allowed anyone to dial in and listen to the proceedings. Um, this is meant to be for investors and those sorts of things. Uh, but the phone line saw more than 200 people dial in and listen to the trial. And many of them found out that they could talk on the line. And then they started screaming free Fortnite and <laughs> put Fortnite back on the app store. Yep. So that started a whole thing, uh, which delayed the trial because no one could figure out how to mute hundreds of people screaming on the line, mm-hmm. which... On the one hand, I find hilarious, but on the other hand, it's like, and this is why video games have a bad name because of all you stupid people. Um, Yeah. So that's how it started. Do you have anything you want to say about that before I move on? Um, There's so much (laughs) to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. Uh, Nothing to say about the lead up because this has been going on for ages now. Um, But as for the people on the phone line thing... This is, and we're gonna. This is gonna be a, a recurring thing uh, throughout the next few stories. It's that a lot of our archaic systems, and I only say archaic in terms of like not as fast moving as video games because video games move fast. Don't know how to mm-hmm. deal with how fast video games move. Like, that's innovation in a box, right there. Put two hundred people on a phone line. Someone figures out, hey, we can speak, and then, ah, you know, like <laughs> anyway. Let's move on. There's, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So uh, as part of these proceedings, we're learning a lot about Fortnite. Uh, so Fortnite has generated $9.1 billion in revenue in just two years, which is just mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, so in 2018, it, uh, it collected $5.4 billion. And then 2019, it got $3.7 billion, uh, which is just insane and it's going to be earning more now as the metaverse is becoming real over there um so that's like a whole thing uh in terms of how that translates to profit epic has previously said it made 5.5 billion overall profit across those two years um and further 5.1 billion profit in just 2020 alone Mm. so in 2020 they made as much money as they did in the first two years of fortnite's existence uh now before uh all of this, we didn't know what the active user count was for Fortnite. Uh, 
in June 2020, a document in the trial, well, the document was made in June 2020, says that Fortnite is the largest game in the world with 80.4 million active users and 350 million player accounts. So mm. that's pretty wild. It's insane. Um, that dwarfs yeah. any other number I know of. Like like um, dwarfs it. Yeah. 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 It's it's absolutely insane. Um iOS is a huge, uh huge amount of, of the player base. Um and like this just goes into like I'm not into mobile games, but it's something that we both Blue and I are getting involved with for our work. Mm. Um and battle royales are just you know I was under, and look, I just don't like gaming on my mobile. Like, it's just not my chosen device. But going in and playing some of these games, like shooters and, and action games in general, just are much better than on a phone than they were even three years ago. Yep. Um, Which is. So, you know, it makes sense that. Where they yeah, were. They are very yeah. playable now, right? Yep. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that, you know, the the mobile portion of Fortnite is actually, like, absolutely massive. Um. Also, it was said that Marvel is the biggest selling IP um, that they've I've, collaborated with so far. Un- unsurprisingly, considering that it was that collaboration was aimed to hit at the start of the refresh um, after yeah. Avengers, because it did happen yeah. after Avengers, right? Yeah, it did. Yes, yes, correct. Or it was during the ramp up to that movie. It was, it was yeah. close tie-in. I remember that to Endgame. Um, now, as everyone probably knows, Epic hand out free games every month uh, on their store, and we've also got a breakdown of how much they're paying for each of those games. Uh, I'm not going to read out the whole thing. Eurogamer has uh, posted this, um, if you do want to go check this out. But uh, Epic has paid $1.4 million, uh, Sorry. Uh, I've lost the, the total figure here. Um, 12 million on 38 games. 12 million. Yeah. Yep. 12 million on 38 games has been spent in the first nine months of the store life. Um, just for the free, just for the free games. Yeah. Just for the free games. Now the, the, some of the, and they also have had the, uh, uh, exclusivity deals. So they would have also been quite pricey. Yep. Um, but to give you an example, like this is not a set amount per game that they're paying. Um, so to give us a bit of a spread here for Subnautica, they paid $1.4 million to get that on the store for free. Uh, Super Meat Boy was $50,000, um, you know, which it's a fair bit older than, uh, Subnautica. Um, Newton Year Zero, which is a really cool game that I, I liked a lot. Uh, it cost a million bucks to put on the store and Fez was 75,000. Um, Warner Brothers took $1.5 million for, uh, Batman Arkham Knight and Ubisoft got 63,000 for For Honor. Um, so yeah, there's a huge list there of every game that they've released and how much, uh, they pay to get that on the free thing. Mm. The good thing here, I guess, and like people be like, oh, why are they paying like 1.5 million for Batman and only 50,000 for Super Meat Boy? Like Super Meat Boy is a really old game now. Um, it's good to see them not, to me, it doesn't feel like they're lowballing those figures. Like no, a lot of yeah. these games have been, have passed their, um, their, their peak, right? Not um, only that, they're like priced lower on other yeah, stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're looking at it for the business sense, right? Like whenever, uh, you, whenever you release an indie game and it doesn't hit, your first point of call is to get it out into some sort of bundle and to discount it, to just try and drive as much value out of that proposition as you can get. Yep. Um, your, I'm sure people know this is, this is basic for any product. You have like the, the peak of your launch, hopefully fingers crossed. And then it's just a quick nosedive down. 
and your objective is to have quite a few peaks along the way and get like a longer tail. Yeah. Because the more that sell, the more people see the game, the more people are talking about the game, the more often the people have heard it when it goes on sale for, you know, the Christmas sale. So then they drop that cash, right? Um, a lot of these games would have already passed their major peaks and are just stagnated. So to get this kind of cash injection, especially for a smaller studio, is great. Um, so, you know, I think personally, like, uh, and here they even have uh, how many copies were downloaded. So it looks like the Subnautica was the highest downloaded game and it was 4.6 million copies. Mostly everything else is like a million or less, um, except for sort of the bigger games like Metro and like Celeste is up there as well at two, two and a half million. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's not like an insane number. And while, yes, they may have earned more if they sold two million copies, they probably wouldn't have sold two million copies this late in the game's life cycle because people already own it and people are only grabbing it now because it's free. They weren't going to buy it anyway. Mm. But now that they've played it, they might follow that developer, for instance, you know? So Or an Epic case. There's a lot of different ways to think of it. They're hoping that now that people have played it, from the Epic Store, they'll stay on the Epic Store, which is another thing, like the not developer side of it, the the store side of it. That's what they were hoping, just to remind people oh, that yeah, we are absolutely. still talking about the Epic Game Store here, and this yeah. is effectively Epic buying customers. That's what yeah. this is, in yeah. in a very long and roundabout fashion of like I pay you to put your product on my store and yada yeah, yada, absolutely. Yada, right? But I think the the perception um, wow. is a lot of these companies, like, I don't know, Epic is sell themselves as being for developer friendly and for the developer. And on this side, it feels like, hey, that yeah. seems pretty fair to me. Maybe it could be a little better, but it's definitely not bad. You know what I mean? So that's a bit of a surprise there. I, I do um, see this, all of these numbers as the team wouldn't have gotten this without Epic's help right I yeah do see it absolutely that and that's why i'm all for epic paying for particularly indie teams for the exclusivity things because getting a guaranteed amount of money to finish the game when like you know there's a thousand games released on steam every week and there's a very good chance that you will not make any money so having that guaranteed amount of money so you can eat and you know cover a baseline of costs to get your game out is like that's a safer bet nine times out of ten unless you're real sure that you're gonna hit it out of the park like that's a real consideration to take when you're a smaller team. So um, when you're a bigger team, less so. But One of the common complaints that I've heard is that this is anti-capitalism. How are you, you know, restricting this game onto this specific platform, which I kind of see the, the where your angle is coming from if you're saying something like that. But the flip side to that is that capitalistically speaking, you need to raise capital. <laughs> so if another platform <laughs> isn't helping you get there, like you know, you you have the opportunity to help these developers from another platform, right? Like, yeah. But if they didn't get there from that, Epic, yeah, one hundred percent. If they give you money to get you across the finish line, th- that sounds capitalistic to me. I don't know. I, I I've heard this argument, and I I don't fully like reconcile the logic of it i understand where it comes from but the logic of it is quite odd for me of like oh you're like exclusivity is not good for free market and i don't know i don't get that i I actually don't fully agree with that one almost ever in the case where this product may not get made without this help yeah and i mean i i understand and totally get that the store is not very good or functional right now or you have thousands of games in the one place me personally i don't care about launching multiple things 
Like you yeah. have to do that anyway when you're playing like, you know, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six from Steam. I'm pretty sure it launches up Uplay or whatever the hell it's called now. It's not called Uplay anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, like, ah, oh, big whoop. That's like a first first world problem for me. Like I have to double click a thing and log in. Yeah. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but I understand that the store is lacking and people don't want to use it. Like it's not a good product. I totally agree with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, if you want to play the games and you care about the games, then you go play the games where you can play the games, right? Yep. Precisely. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll be on. one of the more interesting uh, bits of information that came out here is that Sony is charging publishers for crossplay. Cool. So, Great. Uh, very cool. Love it. Very good for Sony's image. Um, Sony, who, in my opinion, really fucked up here. Um, yeah, like, like pardon the French, the, but like, <laughs> fuck their image. This is just not yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to read this and then we'll get into a bit of the history here. So uh, in some emails, and then I didn't pull up the story for Blue and I today, but uh, this was also confirmed as an email chain between Tim Sweeney from Epic and Phil Spencer at Xbox. Um. So this was during the opening day of the trial uh, that uh, Sony charges or requires compensation from publishers for crossplay in certain circumstances, um, and that Epic agreed to pay these fees in orders to get crossplay going in Fortnite. In certain circumstances, Epic will have to pay additional revenue to Sony. If somebody were primarily playing on PlayStation but then playing on iPhone then this might trigger that compensation. So, so uh, The Verge is reporting that Sony's policy stipulates publishers can't transfer virtual currency to or from PlayStation and there must be a setting to disable all cross-platform interactions. Uh, the Verge also said Sweeney confirmed Sony is the only platform holder that requires his compensation for cross-play. And Sony has been asked for comment from Eurogamer, but there was no. So this is all around uh, 2018, right? Uh, yeah. From This is my memory here. Uh, we had Fortnite, we had Rocket League, yep. uh, one in crossplay. Crossplay wasn't a thing. Microsoft were out there saying, we're game, let's do this, like multiple times. Mm. Uh, and they had already done it with uh, Nintendo of all platforms for Minecraft, I believe, or were in the process of making that happen. Mm-hmm. And Sony didn't want to come to the table. They were like refused. They called, um, and I remember this because, uh, it was also part of Minecraft being on Sony because my, uh, Xbox had bought Minecraft at this point, or yeah. Mojang rather. And their claim was that we can't have crossplay because it's not, uh, we can't have the Xbox Live system that Minecraft uses because it's not um, up to our security standards and all this sort of thing. Yeah. We don't know what sort of thing it is. Basically, we're not coming to the table. And then when Fortnite was like the biggest thing ever, all of a sudden Sony did it. Now we have Tim Sweeney saying that, well, we agreed to pay to make it happen. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so Sony, he was holding back crossplay when Microsoft were out there swinging. And I, while I definitely, I know I sound like a Microsoft fanboy. I always do. But uh, I definitely don't think they did that out of the kindness of their heart. They did that out of the need because they were trailing so far behind on that console generation. They needed this to happen. And they just acquired the biggest game in the world at the time, Minecraft, right? Mm. Which was already on other platforms. Uh, So I think there was definitely a business strategy to that, you know, campaign there. But they were doing it with Nintendo. Nintendo who suck at online, who don't do deal well with companies in the West. And they somehow made that magic happen. And Sony was just like, nah, we don't want to. No good reason. And then to hear that they're charging people behind the scenes to make that happen. That's just shit. 
I'm sorry. That's just terrible. I'm so, I, like, yeah, it sucks. It gives me the same vibes as, you know, when this old man says, but if people are using it, they should pay me for it. Um, and it, it gives me the same vibes as record labels not understanding that if you're, if this track wasn't on this platform that you're complaining about, people wouldn't be listening to it. It's not a matter of every time someone listens, you get a penny. That's not how this works. It's not a matter of every time someone plays this on your console, you are entitled to this money. That's not how this works. At least that's not how the public perception of something is. Uh, yeah. One of the things I think that is happening here is a, a disconnect between where where people's value propositions are. So to I think the way a lot of executives at Sony see it is they play on our console therefore we deserve money whereas the consumer side of it sees it as i bought this console i should be able to do whatever i want on with it and the truth of what is allowed is somewhere in between you bought the console you can use it however you want but you can only use it however you want within the purview of what sony has allowed you to do with it because at the end of the day you have to use their cloud system right um, mm-hmm. And then the murky part is Sony wants you to pay money when you do something online on this console that you own. That's where it gets murky. And at that point, Sony goes to the publishers and pressures them and says, no, we still own this. With this being a more nebulous thing now, because they don't own the PlayStation in your house anymore, right? Like you paid for it. Um, yeah. But like we still own this, quote unquote, and we deserve money for it. But the player doesn't want to give us money for it. So you have to give us money to let the player play your thing. And that that's where it is. Right. And they're not fully wrong if you do spend majority of your time. Uh, so one of the, the arguments here is that if you spend majority of your time playing Fortnite on PlayStation, but then make a purchase on, for example, the Epic, uh, the Apple store. Why doesn't Sony get a cut of that, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I that's, don't know why. That's a that's a hard question, right? Yeah. Because anything that you buy, if you buy V Bucks on yeah. the Sony store, they get thirty percent of that. Yeah. But they're complaining like, oh, they mostly play it on on our console, but then they went and bought V Bucks on iOS. Yeah. And I mean, they're not even saying this is tied to purchase. They're just saying if someone's playing on PlayStation, but are oh, paying, yeah, paying on iPhone. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, that's just, that's, doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Something about to hear that, that transaction feels weird. Yeah. And then to hear that they just held back this, uh, for, for money. Very purely. Like yeah. Just, very purely money reasons. Yeah. It's just another sort of instance where it feels like Sony's just really out of touch with what gaming is now or where it's going, um, or how it's being. And I feel like. Nintendo are kind of in this weird space where they they have their thing and they're safe and they kind of just do their thing and it doesn't really affect them. But I feel like Microsoft is seeing the, this is where it's going. Let's get ahead of the curve and let's, there should be no barriers. And like, they're not, I'm not even talking just about, um, you know, cross play uh, of games. It doesn't matter what, like the message has from them has loud and clear been, doesn't matter what platform your friends have, just as long as you, you and your friends can play the game. That's what's important to us. Yeah. And we hope that you're playing on our platform, but it doesn't even extend to just crossplay. Like they they had the whole huge campaign and they um, pushed out the one of the best adaptive controllers mm-hmm. ever made, and mm-hmm. 
they are not making money on that. There is no way they made any money on that for the amount of research and development that went into that. But that's part of their message at the moment is that, you know, everyone should be able to game the way that they want with who they want. And to have the other side of console gaming, right? Yeah. Be like, yeah, nah, we're not coming to the table on that. We think that's a bad message and we just want money. Like that, I'm definitely adding my own flair to that, but that's kind of like, you could read that this way, right? Yeah, no, I, I read this as this like archaic person who does not play video games, sitting in an office, throwing a tantrum going, but there are people playing games on my console. Why aren't I getting money for that? Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a disconnect. It's it's just a disconnect of ideologies of exactly what you were saying of like why are they doing this? This is the reason why Spencer's name is so like circulated because he is pushing for gamers first and people are latching on to that. And so they're pointing at him and by extension pointing at Microsoft. But you have to understand that Microsoft's stance on this comes from him. Like not he, he needs people under his management to make this happen, but it comes from him. You know what I mean? And yeah, like when you look at where they were before he was in power. Uh, well, in power is the wrong word. <laughs> in charge. Before he was instated in his position. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, it was not that they did not give a no like, a crap about their users at all. And yeah. while you could be cynical about. You know, oh well, this is just a ploy to get like, more people. I feel like, yeah. yeah, they have upheld that message, and he, whether he's acting or not, he has exuded that message yes. very convincingly for years now, and it's paying off. At and the very Sony, least, he has to yeah. be approving things that allow this message to come message to yeah. come across. That's and then the- when you see um, the the emails that came out of this. Uh, I hate that. Which once again, I haven't pulled up. This this is like where I just kind of feel like I have traveled back in time 40 years to to people (laughs) or or even to the 90s where where all the record labels were like, I don't understand. They're downloading my music on Kazaa and I don't get money for that. Is that what you're telling me? And, And people are like. Yeah, that's that's what's happening. Um, um, I'm going to read this email chain um, that came out between him and Spencer. Now, obviously, we don't have the chain from Sony. We just have Sweeney saying that, yes, they have to pay. Um, and other uh, we don't have a chain, but we have a, a small Oh, do you want to read that? Uh, sure. Uh, it's, it's a bit lengthy, uh, uh-huh. so might paraphrase a bit. But um, early on when, you know, Fortnite was um, seen as being like, crazy big on the PlayStation. Uh, Some of the email that happened between the two companies, um, first from Epic, uh, we love working with PlayStation and we want this to be a win-win. The longer this drags out, it will be less so. I can't think of a scenario where Epic doesn't get what we want. That possibility went out the door when Fortnite became the biggest game on PlayStation. So here is what I propose. And then it's just a list of playing ball. Things like we give you the data we're asking you are asking for, plus the marketing data you ask. Epic deeply integrates Sony's esports API into the UE4 engine, Unreal, um, as an engine level feature. We market and advertise it as a first class <laughs> citizen of the engine. As in, yes, now all developers can use Unreal and like have a direct line onto uh, Sony PlayStation um, building, right? Um, yada yada, crossplay uh, brands. Epic's willing to explore more items. Maybe we commit to a game at the launch of your next VR platform? Question mark. Uh, PS Plus. Maybe we do something extra special for a month. Offer a unique character or something highly valuable to drive PS Plus adoption or even more. 
Epic's, uh, Epic's bending over backwards at this point. Let's make this a huge win for us all. Epic's not changing his mind on the issue, so let's just agree on it now. They're really pushing for something to happen because they see the revenue leaking out the door every every second that crossplay doesn't exist here, right? And it's understandable why they're pushing so hard because Epic is... So if anyone's like immediately, oh, they're playing my thing, why aren't we getting money? It's Epic in this situation. That's why they're pushing this hard. Understand, this comes from a very much every second feels like we're losing millions of dollars thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Having said yeah, that, it's um in response. No, there is a response from Sony here. Oh, really? Where it goes, Joe, thanks for the note. Sorry that you feel things are moving too slowly for Epic with PlayStation and cross-platform play. I was under the impression that there was no movement with Microsoft on cross-platform. Has that changed? Also, as mobile is important to you, our tournament APIs are important to us, thus the ask. I appreciate the points you've listed in the email. There are a lot of great ideas here in, uh, in here for continued partnership. However, cross-platform play is not a slam dunk no matter the size of the title. It goes on for a bit more, but that's from GeoCorsi, the senior director at Sony Interactive at the time. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty pretty crazy. That that's just um, we don't we don't get as much money as you think you're gonna get, so we don't want to play ball. That's exact. That's all that is, right? Yeah. So in contrast, we have over here. Um, so this is from Sweeney to Spencer, uh, Tim Sweeney. For those who don't know, head yep. of Epic. Yep. Uh, Hi Phil. Long ago, we talked optimistically about the possibility of subscription-free multiplayer on Xbox. PlayStation requires subscription for multiplayer, but exempts free-to-play games, including Fortnite. If this is coming, please consider the possibility of timing the program to support Fortnite Season 14 launch on the 27th of August. This launch will follow the confidential Fortnite Mega Drop 20% price drop that's coming in mid-August and will be our biggest and best Fortnite season thanks to a huge collaboration with Disney and Marvel. Uh, he goes on to talk about some other future plans. Um, well, I can't share details to any third party at this point, I give you Epic's assurance that our efforts will be positive and supportive of Microsoft, Xbox, and Windows. I realize that this incomplete information and that you have a big ship that's slow to turn, so the specific ask is if you please keep in mind the date and for the expected events throughout August to draw specific attention into focus. Uh, Spencer's response. Uh, hey, Tim, I owe you a bunch of things and I'm behind. I apologize for that. Just got a lot going on that's not an excuse. You obviously see now Samsung announced and now are back and forth with Apple. The highest levels of Microsoft we are committed to pushing on these policies and continuing to expand our console platform's capabilities. You can chime in as you feel comfortable, but I did want to just let you know that I have your point on xCloud on other consoles. We haven't given up. Free to play outside of gold. We will get there and I want to partner with you and our store entitlement ideas as items I'm going to review with you to make progress. I'm committed to that just behind. Hope you're well, Phil. Like, just bam, we are at the table. Sorry I haven't got back to you. Yeah. We're going to make this happen. And then Microsoft did just earlier this year make uh, gold subscription. Uh, sorry, uh, free-to-play games. Yeah. It um, did happen. Outside of the subscription. Yeah, it happened. So very different approaches to to handling this uh information and as this stuff comes to light i'm like i could maybe see why tim sweetie is uh the way he is at the moment <laughs> <laughs> well okay so i i, I want i keep bringing this up because it's important to remember it's not just about good guy bad guy it is about um something's happening on my console my platform and i should get payment for it that is actually to some extent fair right if, if fortnite is being played so much on Xbox, PlayStation, iOS, Android, it those platform owners deserve some kind of compensation for it. The the thing is that 
in a lot of situations, I can imagine that this conversation is along the lines of let's work out what is reasonable and then either upfront cost or um, a cost calculated at the end of the day. But there is so much fear of losing out here, like so much FOMO, right? Fear of missing out that the stance that Sony took was no, we just got to cut on every transaction. Then that way you can't under that way you can't like undercut us at all. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that that's the stance. This this goblin in an alley going. No, no, no. <laughs> I have to. I my hands have to touch every single piece of thing that's being transacted here because I I don't believe that Microsoft doesn't get anything for crossplay. Right? That's not how this works. They do get things, but it's it's like it's a deal. And it still is a deal with between Sony and Epic, but the deal here is we get to look at and touch everything. Otherwise, we're not we're taking our ball home, and you don't get to play anymore. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's pretty spicy, and it's just day one. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how this all winds up and what uh, when when the Apple information actually starts see, uh, you know seeping out into this. One, one uh, before so I'm we move sure on. we're going to be talking. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. One of the like really super interesting things that has come out of this is um, the courts were not ready for classified information in the games industry to become public domain because uh-huh. they got like dozens of cease and desists and like pleas to redact information from companies who treat the correspondence uh, being put on public display here as uh, industry and trade secrets. Oh, right, right. That has been a thing that's happened to the courts that they've had to deal with that as these documents have been slated up for, because you can see what documents are in the uh, exhibits, the, the mm-hmm. names of them, uh, com- like dozens of companies have just come into the courts and been like, no, no, you, you, we don't want you to say this or show this part of it. Yeah. So uh, everything else aside, that's going to be super interesting over the next like weeks to months as, as um, experts are able to like dissect important information out of that and we'll get a better understanding of what the games industry does but i think that at some point the the courts will cave on some of this as well as the like awkward and weird part about it yeah yeah so i'm sure we'll be talking about this for the next few weeks that's for sure yeah exciting uh so we're gonna jump over to another big company riot has come out and they want to record valorant voice chat to combat toxic behavior uh, so the the idea here is that Riot is updating its uh, privacy notice to allow it to record and evaluate voice comms when a report for disruptive behavior is submitted in mm. the competitive shooter. Uh, so if a violation is detected, Riot will vow to take action and remove the data when it is no longer needed for reviews. Uh, they have insisted that they're not actively going to listen to players, will only potentially listen to and review voice logs when disruptive voice behavior is reported. Yep. And Riot has come out and suggested that if you prefer not to have your voice chat required, then don't use voice chat. (laughs) Participating in voice on our platform means your voice logs are subject to recording and potential processing. Um, Mm -hmm. Riot said it'll only keep data for as long as it's necessary and will protect it as if it was our own. Mm. And we know that collecting voice data is concerned for many of you, but be assured that we would never ship anything if we weren't comfortable having our own data treated the same way. And if you prefer to not have your voice chat captured, then just turn off voice chat. Yeah. It's interesting because there was uh, a big kerfuffle when uh, Valorant launched because it installed um, anti-cheat software at a kernel level, Mm -hmm. which people were very not happy with. Mm -hmm. Um, But that seemed to blow over. 
And um, it's interesting to see because it's been years and years and years of toxic behavior in League of Legends. It's interesting to see them do something this drastic to try and combat that and to try and promote a healthy community. I've yeah. got to say I'm not exactly against it and I'm kind of impressed that they were just like, if you don't want your voice recorded, don't use voice chat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, yeah, that's that's a good thing and I wish that other games that I like to play like Project Winter and, and you know, First Class Trouble had things like this in it <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like it would probably make it a much uh, better experience for all. I'm surprised it's Riot that's falling on this sword. Um, and I do exactly. see exactly. I hundred percent see this as falling on a sword. By the way, because I see this as the first step in normalizing this. We have had text moderation for as long as I can remember, but there is one hundred percent a time when that's not the case, and there will have been a vanguard of people going, "How dare you moderate everything I type?" Right. Mm. Um. We, the only reason we haven't done it for voice is because it's a lot harder. But I guarantee you, like, I would bet a lot of money that Discord has something in the works for moderating this via AI. There's no way that a lot of companies aren't in this space right now with how big um, um, call software got in the past year. That mm-hmm. they aren't in there, like, trying to find a way to at least call out toxic behavior across this mm-hmm. um probably via ai you know like because it just makes sense so this will get a lot of kickback riot is going to take this in the jaw uh, on the chin and it'll clear the path for the next person who comes out and says something like we are going to start monitoring and then that'll normalize it for when someone else down the line says we are going to experiment with an ai that will watch you for what you say but only for yeah. what for profanity and we promise we're not logging your behavior or something but this is all, like, do you agree? This is just sensible evolution of voice comms because it has to be moderated. I believe so. Yeah. And there's also just like, yes, you should be wary of, you should be wary of where your data is going. Yeah. Like, absolutely. But if you think that this isn't already happening yeah. in terms of people taking your data from what you're talking about, like, yeah. that's not tinfoil hat shit. That's just regular. That's how the internet works. And, and, and not even in a, like, nefarious, we want to use your data to do things. It's just data has to go somewhere. Yeah, you, you don't get and to just throw things out into the ether, have it land where exactly where you want it to land and not have a trail of that. That's not how that yeah. works. Also, just like people should be held accountable for how they act <laughs> online. 100%, right? That's a, yeah. And like that's a, obviously they haven't done this yet, but I'm assuming they're not going to, you know, um, they're not going to get you in trouble for talking shit with your friends and talking a little bit of fun no. smack between people. They're only going to get you in trouble if you get reported and you're going to get reported. And like, yes, there will be people that are griefing and all that sort of things. Um, but like, if you say something that's abhorrent, you should be. It doesn't matter out of the what game. the context of who you're talking to. There are some things that no one should joke about, you know, not, not, yeah. not that, not, not, not that there are things that no one can joke about, but there are things that, are very concerning. There are yeah. There are lines yeah. that if you cross it, it's very concerning. And maybe that's a call for help that you even don't realize that you're making. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this weird thing, right? Where like, obviously I, I'm completely against censorship and all that stuff. And that's where people are going to be going with this straight away. But yeah. I don't think that's what it is. And I do think that people should be held accountable 
like we were just talking earlier about people not feeling safe in the Hearthstone community yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yep. And it's big, you know, and that game doesn't even have voice chat, does yep. it? No, pretty sure it no, does it. it expressly yeah. avoided voice chat and type. It doesn't even allow you to communicate via text to your opponent because they were so worried that there would be toxic behavior around that. An emote from the launch of Hearthstone, sorry, that every hero at the time was able to, you know, every hero, every character in Hearthstone is able to say things specifically like greetings, uh, thank you, mm. um, oops, now. Because at yeah. some point, there was a sorry, and that was being used in a bad way because, like, when someone won, they'd be like, sorry. And even just the perception yeah. of that was so bad that they removed that emote. Yeah. That's how much, like, our yeah. behavior to each other comes across in games and there's a lot of hurt in that and a lot of like bad in that that doesn't need to be there and that i'm, I'm glad games are s- trying to see an opportunity to educate its player base because i see that i see yeah. this as education yeah so anyway i think it's interesting i think it potentially is a good thing i don't play valorant anymore but um yeah could be, I think, making the internet and high, a gaming spaces nicer places to be. And, you know, that's always when you find a good gaming community. Um, you know, that's always a good feeling. Like, yeah. uh, we'll talk about it later, but we jumped into a game of scavengers uh, on the weekend and we were playing with a random guy and he was just completely helpful and, and really good. And we talked about it just last week or a couple of weeks ago about Project Winter. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure what that community is like now, but at the time, that community was really welcoming and good and fun and just wanted people to play the games. Yep. Uh, we shouldn't need to be held accountable for things we say because we should just be good people. But we're not. But we're not good people, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, a big and the loudest proponent of this is not a good, are not good people, so they, they need that. Anyway. <laughs> not much. I feel like I'm like the dad sitting sitting your kid down, being like, "Don't be a shithead on the internet." But that's basically um what uh, this is coming. Up. I mean, it, when not enough dads do that, then the games have to do that for the dads. Yeah, I suppose. Oof. Are you winning, son? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're gonna just quickly touch on a few pieces here. Um, so IO Interactive, the developers behind Hitman, one of my favorite series in in a long time is working on a fantasy IP for Xbox. Uh, This was reported via Windows Central this week that Microsoft is working on a bunch of projects with external developers that aren't part of their internal buy-ups. And IO Interactive is one of them. uh, And they're working on a game to be released under the Xbox Game Studios publishing banner. And uh, it's uh, AAA in scope. It's still in very early development. It'll be years from now that it comes out. Uh, It's currently planned to feature a large medieval-esque world and winged beasts of the dragon variety. It's just Uh, Agent 47 in Skyrim, (laughs) isn't it? We we hope so. That would be the best. Oh, imagine if it's like Assassin's Creed, except it's Hitman's Creed or something, and he's like just traveling through different time periods with time-appropriate weapons. I'd be down for that. I Yeah, that'd be cool. Like, imagine Um, like Assassin's Creed Origins, but... It's set up like a hitman level. So you're like going into a pharaoh's party. <laughs> like yeah. dealing with high society of the dope. Egyptian. So yeah, in I'm my head, I was that. thinking that, um, yeah, hitman just goes around. Uh, Agent Hitman. Agent 47 just goes around Skyrim <laughs> killing every NPC that we hate. Yeah, that, that could also work. So that would be all of them because Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say just, just a trail of dead bodies across the continent. 
so um, this is um this is they're working uh alongside they're obviously uh currently working on project 007 game yep. um which is going to be interesting uh and they have uh also been kicking around a third ip in development which uh was spoken about earlier this month during a online keynote uh, without going into too much detail, we have a third universe that we're actively working on, which is a bit different and absolutely a love child. It is something our core people, our veteran staff, have been dreaming about for some time. Mm. Uh, they are going to be doubling in size to 400 people by the time the 007 comes out, and uh, they're opening a third studio location in Barcelona. So this is like such a big what a turnaround success story. Yeah, because they were on the brink of bankruptcy when they got in bed with Square Enix for. The first Hitman reboot, yeah. that was this episodic game that everyone thought would fail. And now they're about to grow to 400 people and are opening a third studio. That's so crazy. So this is amazing to yeah. see. I'm very happy. Uh, this last one, I'm just going to quickly touch on. Uh, this came into my um, inbox earlier today. Uh, Stunlock Games, who are, uh, sorry, Stunlock Studios. They were the developers of Battle Right. And I don't know if people remember Battle Right, but it was like the hottest game on Steam for about a month. Uh, a couple of years ago now, it was basically League of Legends in a 2v2 or 3v3 arena. Do you remember that game, Blue, at all? I streamed it a fair bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Not you much of like it, it, but I remember the name. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty cool game. Had a lot of cool ideas. They have announced their new game. Um, so they made like a bunch of money off that and they grew a little bit. Uh, they're a Swedish studio and they revealed a new project. It's an open world vampire survival game called V Rising. Uh, there's going to be a beta later this year. Uh, you awaken as a weakened vampire from centuries of slumber and you must survive in a world full of peril. Um, the team took inspiration from everything classic gothic horror literature to Netflix's Castlevania to create a world of conflict where vampires, humans, and mythical beasts coexist in a delicate balance. We want to give players the full vampire experience of avoiding the burning sunlight, hunting for blood, and building their castle. All this while competing against other players and being tracked by vampire hunters. This is our most ambitious game yet, and we can't wait to reveal more information in the foreseeable future. I just thought it was really cool because they were a great little studio that made this sort of big hit that kind of just disappeared pretty quickly. But, you know, it still crops up every now and then where they have a big event in, in uh, Battle Right, and I'll see it pop up. Um, and, yeah, it's just cool to see them sort of step out and do something a little bit different. They could have just done another free-to-play thing um but they're going out to make a and a vampire game right when the masquerade is kind of in hiatus so i'm uh, mm. pretty excited tentatively excited to see what they do with this always exciting to see an indie studio have a success and what they follow it up with yeah i think it's really cool that i hope what happened is they just took the money from battle right and then went all right next thing um yeah. one of the things that stuck to me about battle right was that the programmers were smart as in one of the features of Battle Right is that you always start on the left and your team mm -hmm. always goes to the right. And mm -hmm. you might ask, oh, how does that work in a 3v3 team? Well, they just mirror it if you're on the other side, mm -hmm. which is something that is very obviously a thing that's easy to do in code. It's, it's not hard to do in code, but it does take some execution and some brain bending, but it's yeah. nicer on the players. So I remember that sticking out to me. And um, yeah, that, that shows to me that there are developers who like are very cognizant of what the player experience is like. So hopefully this will be good. But I mean, tentatively, it's an MMO. So eh. yeah, 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 yeah. 
We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on to a question. Uh, you can submit a question to the podcast by hitting us up on Twitter at Pixels Breakfast, or you can join our Discord and post it into the Breakfast Pod Questions channel. This one comes from Rowan, who had a question for us last week as well. In the last pod, you both talked about the surprise of football manager always being in top lists. Uh, he's talking about top played on Steam there. Mm-hmm. I feel like increasingly, especially when Roblox talk pops up over the pandemic, people are starting to notice there are huge swaths of communities that just don't notice that you just don't notice as gamers. This sort of popped up in a previous episode too about battle royales, how you were both surprised that some game you didn't hear about apparently is doing super well. So I guess the question is something like, what are your thoughts on these seemingly invisible but massive communities and cultures? Why do you think gaming has so many of them? I feel like the obvious answer is social media bubbles, but that doesn't seem like quite enough. Seems odd given the size of things like Football Manager and Roblox that so many people who would consider themselves in the know for a lot of gaming things just simply pass us by. I don't have a big opinion on this. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I assume that any game that I've heard of, especially if it's been out for a while, has a community around it. I'm just not part of that community. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me necessarily that Football Manager is one of the most played games on Steam uh, because football is one of the biggest sports on the planet. Uh, it's just more of a, ah, oh, yeah, that's a thing that exists. That's a surprising thing, right? Like that I I don't really consider it because I'm not interested in it. Same with yep. Roblox. I'm not a 10-year-old boy, so I'm not interested in Roblox. Um, because that game is very heavily marketed towards kids and parents complaining about their kids buying lots of things on Roblox. Uh, and then when you look at Roblox, it's an unfinished mess of a thing Mm -hmm. that I'm not really entirely sure why it's so popular, but it is. Um, so I am just of the opinion that any game that is worth its weight and gold, like even Battle Right has a community. It has a pretty big community, but no one's talking about it. And there is a difference between, uh, you know, media putting attention on something and everyone knowing it, like Call of Duty. Absolutely. And then just this other thing that is in the background, making cash and making people happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that's very much the heart of the question is just what do we think about cultures and communities around games that aren't covered by media? And that's basically it. It's just that it's not covered by media. Media doesn't cover it because there isn't an angle for them to take about it. Oh, you're 10-year-olds on Roblox again. Cool. Like, but so media doesn't have an angle on it, but the reality of it is that Roblox is a free to play game for a a generation and subset of players who are very hungry for any kind of online interaction time. Um, And it offers tools for them to effectively do whatever they want, especially for the more creative Roblox on mass, I think is very meh. Um, And I think that it will be the future of where we hear you know how now you have like I started my career as a like Counter Strike modder. I started my career as a Doom modder. Um, Roblox has an extremely robust um, editing. Yeah, I built kit. I built this game in Roblox. That's that's where I started. Right? But that's gonna be the thing. M- yeah, but see the thing that's different is that where when you mod Counter Strike maps or when you mod whatever back in the day Warcraft, uh, a lot of the skills in the editor don't translate because. There's only so much they can do. The Roblox editor, there was recently a small Twitter thread that got some traction. The Roblox editor is crazy good. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the Twitter thread started with, 
what's this Roblox thing? I've missed out on this. I guess I'll check this out. Haha, <laughs> this is going to be funny too. I am so sorry I misunderstood and and underestimated how good this Roblox editor is. Why doesn't Unreal and Unity do things more like this? Because this makes more mm. sense. So this is going to be a very powerful language for um, that side. That's beside the point. Why do these communities, uh, what do we think about these communities? Uh, they exist. They don't need us. Like that's that's the best part about it. <laughs> they don't need us to pay attention to them. They're self-sustaining. Yeah. They know what they need. They know what they do. How many people out there care about fighting games and fighting game communities and tournaments and stuff like that? That answer is bigger than you'd expect. Now, here's a better question. Uh, or, or here's a better like kind of side note to that. The fighting game community um, isn't able to tap into the fighting game uh, um the fighting game tournament scene isn't able to tap into the fighting game community. As much as we call ourselves the FGC, do you know how many people play Smash and Mortal Kombat casually who have no interest in going to a tournament? Because yeah. that number is a lot bigger than the number of people in tournaments who like to make a big stink about being the best in the world. And there are so many people out there who are like, I don't care. I only want to play Mortal Kombat. I want to watch any movie that comes out. Because there is a difference between having newsworthy and like content and being part of the hype train and pushing marketing and a community just existing because a game is good um not every game that's good gets its time in the sun but every game that like can draw a community will just have it for as long as it the community wants to exist around yeah and it. i think that's, cool. that's a big part of um Discord has played a big part in that because anyone who's a fan of anything can make a place for that to be, whether that's the developer of an indie game. Um, There are situations, right, where, like, for instance, the Battle Royale we were talking about that hadn't really heard about. The the interesting part for me is not really that, oh, this is a community. It's like, well, why haven't I heard about it? Why is this big in the Philippines and nowhere else? Like, Mm. what's that story? For me personally, that's the interesting part. And Battle Royale in particular is an interesting genre because... Anyone that tries anything new is an incredible risk because without that player base, the game dies. Yeah. It just because you cannot play it, right? Yeah. And I think that's actually a huge issue because I like scavengers, which we'll talk about in a bit. While I don't love the game, if I did love the game, let's just say that I do, it's a risk to invest money and time into it because if it's just a fad that's over in 30 days, then I've invested time and money into a dead game. And like, I've, I've done that before in different genres. Um, Smash and grab is, is the biggest travesty in gaming that <laughs> I loved that game so much. I put money and time into it. And in the space of like a month, that game died. You can't download it anymore. You can't play it anymore. Um, and it just really sucks. Yep. Um, so it's always interesting to me too, that some games cannot get the community from fear of, well, no one else is going to, like that the way that I like it. So I'm just going to play Apex instead because that's always going to have players, right? I think that is an interesting challenge for that genre in particular. Mm. Bit of a bit of a side tangent there, but just something I do think about in terms of success of these these games and a lot of them are very short-lived, which is why when I hear of a game that's three or four years old that people are talking about, then I'm like, well, that has a community that I'm just not a part of, a big community probably because it's got staying power and people are still talking about it years later. Yeah. Uh, and and something that was like brought up in the question as well was the concept of social media bubbles. Um, social media is not as comprehensive as people think. Like all, everyone who uses social media has like overload of information because there's only so much their brain can process. But the reality mm. of it is that 
we can process so little that we just don't even know what yeah. we don't know. I mean, uh, and in terms of me personally finding games, like I don't, I don't use social media outside of posting the pixels content. I get on there and I post the content and I leave. And I will usually send two tweets out just because I'm always like, what are, what are the business opportunities being in this industry? I have to be present quote unquote present. So I'll send a tweet or two out a week, but mm. I don't, I'm not looking in every day. I'm logging in maybe once or twice a week and it's always for a purpose. I don't sit and look at what my friends are playing. And I don't think I've ever really been drawn to playing a game because I saw it on Twitter ever. You know what I mean? Mm. That might not, that's mm-hmm. probably just me personally. There are people that literally live and breathe on Twitter every day. Yep. But yeah, I don't think social media really um, sways my, my you know gaming. What does sway my gaming is not even Twitch or YouTube. It's... Um, listening to podcasts it's talking to people in our community and in other communities that i'm part of and that's what usually sways my choice of what games and communities i do get involved with yep um skill up is a is a youtube creator from australia and i i find that more often than not not always but more often than not my tastes and thoughts align with his quite well Mm. uh so you know when i was getting into hunt showdown he played and did a big video about Hunt Showdown. I was like, that I've been looking at this game and it looked interesting. And then just seeing him play it and hearing his thoughts, I'm like, that is what swayed me to get into Hunt and is now one of my favorite games of all time. Um, yep. It wasn't because I saw it on Twitter or it wasn't because I joined the Hunt community. Um, I have joined the Hunt community now, but, you know, it wasn't the ominous community existence of it that got me into it, you know. So I think that's kind of where I get my information from. All right. Yep. Well, shall we? Move on to the closing section. Yeah, let's talk about some games that we played this week. Uh, I played a a couple of games. So uh, I'm going to kick off with Scavengers. Um, Now, I did do a new video format um, of an idea that I'm kind of testing out called The Rundown um, because there are just too many games. There are too many games. I don't have enough time. And every review video is like 20 hours of work minimum. Mm. Um, And full-time job, studying Japanese, um, you know, at least two to three hours a day. Like it's really hard for me to keep doing that. So I'm testing out this rundown theory, which is basically like a very short snappy of what is a game and some quick thoughts about it. It also means games that I feel like I don't need to do a full review of. I can just do something of. Anyway, so I did that. If you want to go to YouTube and check that out, I would really appreciate it and leave me some feedback for the next one. But Scavengers is a really interesting mashup of, it's a battle royale-esque thing. Um, it's PVPVE. Like, imagine Apex Legends and The Division had a baby and it's in the snow. That's basically what this is. You drop in with a party of three and it's like um, light survival. You're in the snow. There are all these um, huge snowstorms that come in that freeze you. You need to eat. You need to stay warm. Um, and the objective isn't necessarily to be the last person, last team standing. Um, like a traditional battle royale, there are data points spread all across the map and you're going to these data points and collect and extracting them, which means you have to defend a point while it's extracting this stuff out. And there are mobs everywhere. So you go to these camps and there's like these zombie looking mobs. And then sometimes there are like big beasts and bears and, um, you kill them and they drop data as well. And there's loot associated with these places. Um, but of course other players, other teams are trying to get the data as well. And you know, they might hear gunfire somewhere and they might come and kill you and take all the data that you have. Um, and that's really interesting. And I really like the, the idea of that, this, 
And it's one of the reasons why I really love Hunt Showdown is the PvE element attached to there being players. Um, but something about it just screams it's like another free-to-play Battle Royale coming to mobile. Um, and it's very mobile-centric design. So what's really cool about this game, Blue, is as you're scavenging things around, you're like collecting all these resources. And then after like the match is over, um, the resources that you bring out, you you use them to research things, but all of the research things are on a timer. So like you research a new pistol and then it'll be like, well, that's going to take 20 minutes of real time to research. But mm. then you can start finding that pistol out in the field. But if you want to spend some of the in-game currency, then you can just research it immediately. And yeah. that's as that's very mobile. Very, very, very mobile. I, you, like you're, gonna, you're gonna hate me for doing this you know the first game that i was in that played that had that system where you have to spend time researching like real time firefall yeah and firefall uh, had up to like 24 hours yeah so i'm not against it as principle but just the like there's a power system as well which you know we work on a lot of gacha japanese games that use yeah. that power system where you can only do this amount per day kind yeah, of thing. yeah so it yeah. has that and then the fact you can use the currency to just blast through it is a bit like, well, if you spend money, you just get all the best stuff immediately. Yeah. And and it, it now, does make a difference as well. I want to I want to yeah. say this kind of thing does make a difference. Uh, with I, I brought up Firefall because my example for that was I played in the beta, and therefore um, all of my research time from the beta got grandfathered into a bank on launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I nice. I never researched anything in launch. Like I, mm-hmm. I had so much time banked that I got to the end game and could not use up my bank yeah wow. research time That's um, wild. so that made it so much faster for me to be able to just switch and do new things which doesn't make as much of a difference in game power as you would think it just means that it was less it was more snappy for me to try different av- aspects of the game mm. so this it's this kind um, of thing might like while the developers see it as a oh we might be able to get some kind of money out of this it might actually just turn people off. Yeah. Now to be clear right now in the beta, it is free to play on steam right now. And also Epic, um, you can't purchase uh, in-game currency. You can only earn it. Yeah. So it's not that, but it's like the writing is on the wall there. Yeah. And I'm not even, I'm not even having a dig at it going to mobile. Like we just talked about Fortnite, like mobile battle Royales is like, that's where it makes so much sense. And it's healthy for the player base too, um, which solves the issue that we just talked about. But it just feels weird to have those systems in place on a PC game. And there's something so just that feels so bit, ready to uh, jump up and be like, we're going to earn money now. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. So that kind of uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, just some of the weapon balance doesn't feel good. Like I always felt like I needed two clips to take out a guy. Like it never felt like I could get a really good skill shot and just kill someone immediately. Which once again, I'm not against, but it just, it didn't feel right yet. And it is early access. So that's, you know, probably going to be tweaked. Mm. Um, the the interest, there's a couple of interesting things too. Like, uh, so you're collecting this data and all these resources, right? Mm. There are data uplinks um, scattered throughout the map as well, which you can then go and use and defend. And that will actually bank your data because if you die, um, you know, if you're killed by another player group, they can steal your data, right? Mm. Um, so it's like ensuring that you have that but people camp them out and try and kill you at them because they know that's what you're going there to do a bit um, tarkovy where you want to try and get something out yeah of yeah run. exactly yeah. um the the other uh, i'm jumping all around sorry because my thoughts are all over the place sure. i think if you go watch the the rundown video it's like three minutes long i think you'll get a really good vibe of it mm. but uh 
the other really cool and really interesting element of this is each so it's like apex legends where you have heroes right yeah and um you get two kind of if you get two or three for free at the start um and then you can purchase the others with the in-game currency that you earn um but they have like really cool powers um and like one of the ones that uh mini boss who does the music for the show actually he uh got i, I call him yellow jacket because i don't remember any of his names but he wears a yellow jacket he has this power called slipstream which if he procs that he's basically it's like mario kart drafting you run behind the slipstream and you're running fast so it's really good to get you out of open spaces mm. or if there's a storm coming to make sure you get to shelter um so like they're doing interesting things with that but each yep. of these hero characters has a hero weapon um, which is a special weapon that you can craft using scrap in the field. So you you scavenging and finding scrap and then you can hit the C button and it brings up a little crafting menu and you can craft certain items like uh, better shields for yourself um, or this like hero weapon that you can then upgrade. Um, and that's really cool because you have two weapon slots. So you're like, okay, I'm going to keep that. I'm the sniper guy. So I craft my sniper rifle and then I keep upgrading that and I have a role. So it's interesting that you can build these roles around and also find... Um, rare weapons out in the field just randomly as well yep um so i really like that also like there are vehicles scattered around and sometimes they'll be completely damaged and you can use your scrap to make a vehicle drivable um and repair it so if you're on the brink and there's a huge storm coming that could be useful but then you can't craft your upgrades and you need to find more scrap so it really does push you to you want to go to all the camps to get as much uh, as many resources as you can like it's really good at making you just not run to the middle Um, I don't know what triggers the end of the game. I haven't worked that out because I only played maybe three or four hours of the game. Um, but eventually there's an airship coming and you need to get to the airship Titanfall style, like original Titanfall style, Mm. um, get to the airship before it takes off. But all the last surviving teams are also going to the airship and you get aboard the airship. And even if you're inside the airship, they can just kill you. So that to me feels shit. Like I feel like if you can manage to get in the airship, you should be able to get extracted and not have to deal with being standing in the ship and getting shot and murdered. Um, Because if you have a decent round where you like take out one or two teams and you're kind of, um, you know, up there in the scoreboard because you're standing on the ladder doesn't seem to relate to how many kills you get. It's literally how much data did you get? That's the important thing. So to have be like, Oh, we've had a pretty conservative run and we've like, been lucky and got some good extraction here and blah, blah, blah. And then to just have it all just fall apart literally in the last 10 seconds, that's not a good feeling. Mm. Um, but ultimately I like that it's trying to do a lot of different things and it is very different to any of these games that I've played before. Um, and I like the, it's third person like the division is and I like the whole PVE element to it. The survival mechanics with having to eat and stay warm are cool in theory and they match thematically, but it's just another meter that you have to manage. Yeah. Um, I don't think it necessarily adds anything. It does add some tense moments where you have to get to a fire, but maybe a team's tracking you down. So it's like, maybe there's that sort of push and pull. Maybe if I play more of it, I would feel that. Anyway, it's an okay game. I, I wouldn't invest in it right now, but it is free. Um, so, you know, you got nothing to lose to go check it out. It's a good game to play with friends and just have some fun. Um, and yeah, we've played with a couple of randoms and all of them were quite helpful and, and friendly so that was good and yeah i you know i i definitely think you should go check it out if battle royales are interested interesting to you or if you want to do like a pve thing with friends that has some player encounters as well um yeah i definitely think it's worth checking out um the other game that i played this week i played with you blue 
exclusively with you. Yeah. Um, So this game is called Almighty Kill Your Gods. um, And it's it's a really hard game to explain. (laughs) It just got out in early access Yeah, it dropped uh, today. Today. By the time you hear this, it dropped today. Um, yeah, no, no, so it's dropped uh, the day of recording. Oh, is it out? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, oh, I thought embargo was tomorrow. Okay, May well, fit, um, May fit. Yeah. so it dropped uh, today, and uh, it's a really cool, complex game. Um, I do you want to kick it off, Blue? Yeah, like, <laughs> I would have called this game ambitious, like, overly so, looking at its trailer. Uh, yeah. And it 100% is ambitious, but... I actually, so it is still a bit rough around the edges. I won't say like it's still rough. It's not rough right now. It it has a good loop already. And I will 100% admit that the game is still ambitious even after playing it. But the team is very competent and got a lot further with a mess of a design, uh, much further than I would have expected. Would you agree with that? Like, Yeah. Before we actually get into telling you what the game is, I just want to, like, as a producer, and I'm sure anyone who is into game development knows feature creep. It's yeah. like someone just coming along like, let's just do this without thinking of the consequences. Yeah. And it feels like this game, they just wrote down any cool idea that they could come up with that was heavily systems based mm. and put it on a whiteboard and say, we're going to make all this. And as a producer, I would cry and say, no, we're not. That is ridiculous. Yeah. You can't just put whatever you want on this board and we're going to make it. But yeah. that's what they've done with this game. And somehow it mostly seems to work. Yeah, it, it's um, it's the kid at the supermarket who's like, I want all of the snacks. And the mother didn't go, no, pick two. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, the mother is just yes. like, fine, whatever. I'm going back to my glass of wine at home. And yeah. they, they, they got, they're mostly there. Uh, on yeah, most yeah, of these yeah. systems, which is not to say that every system is amazing. Uh, yeah, the foundation is definitely the foundation solid. is definitely there. The base of the game, we're beating around the bush here. The base of the game is you are what's called an alpha, this conglomeration of power of your ancestors, something that's in time going to be able to rival gods. The gods of this world are mean bad they killed you and your friends and now you're rising back to kill them right yeah That's so the- yeah so you basically have this island and these uh false gods came and burnt the island to the ground your whole town is obliterated and most of the inhabitants which are called kindred yeah. have been burnt to death and you were a kindred you're burnt and, and then-, then through some narrative magic you were reborn as an alpha with the destiny of getting revenge and rebuilding your home yeah is basically the plot right yeah and the um, core combat is um, you can shoot things out of your hands. You can do like rudimentary melee stuff, which is um, more powerful than like the shooting stuff, um, but requires you to be up close. Uh, and like that's it for like core base combat, right? Uh, that's yeah, probably so like this, where um, the game started. Uh, a yeah, good, yeah. good movement kit. Because you can like sprint and like glide and stuff like that with a double jump, uh, with simple combat. I think I think that's yeah, where the game. Yeah, so you are. you like this um, it's like this beast animal liger weird mm. thing, and um, you can you can jump really high. You can basically fly like it's a glide, but you can go like you, you, you get knuckles really fly. high in the air. And you just, knuckles yeah, fly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, and then you just as you said, you have this melee combat, and you basically have uh, a gauntlet on each hand. 
which you can equip like different types of gauntlets and all these sorts of things. Different types and then of guns. you can equip like a power to each gauntlet. Yeah. Um, and they all have different stats and it's almost like a monster hunt, uh, monster hunter light in that respect in that yeah. all of these things have slots that can do different things and you have abilities yeah. and you basically go out and hunt down these beasts and creatures on all these different islands. You mm. get the, the um, uh, materials and loot to come back and you rebuild your town. Mm. And the, the opening part of the game is very much like just teaching you all of the basics of which there are many, many things to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're slowly opening up different buildings in the, uh, I guess we, I don't know what you would call the courtyard. We'll call it the courtyard for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, because you have this like huge tower that's been crumbled that you're basically trying to build up. And with each level of the tower you build up, you get more stamina and more health. Um, but then you're unlocking like, here's the travel guy and that will let you travel to different islands and take your friends with you. And here's the, uh, weaponsmith, which will let you craft new gauntlets. And here's the like blueprint print person and the customization person and all, and the, the, the cooking person that will let you cook things and, it's so many systems, but they're all pretty basic. Like the way that I would sum this up is it's pretty basic on the surface, but it already feels like it's got quite a bit of depth and it's just their first early access release. Like it's surely Mm. it's only going to get better from here. Right. Mm. Mm. But then in addition to this courtyard, you have like all of these other structures outside. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to get to that. It's like, it's crazy. Like, you, you look at this island from a, like, top-down perspective because you can get a map, right? And you're like, that's a big island. Oh, we can do a lot of fighting here. Everything, like, it feels like every square inch of the island is a building that you can restore that does something yeah. for your island. Well, mostly it produces passive resources. It's what it's aimed to do. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, so there's this whole, um, yeah, town management sort of thing, right? Where you like building the farm and then when you're out on quests, you can bring back boars so then they can propagate so you can have food. And, yeah. You can bring back kindred, um, all the, like all your fellow villagers who like were killed. Some of them are like killed on, uh, some are hiding out on other islands and are looking for a safe haven and you can bring them back and stuff and they can, yeah. And then you buildings. assign them. Yeah. 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 Like there are mining parts, which will mine certain resources that you use to craft elements and all these sorts of things. And it's just, Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It is. Um, I'm not so sure. Way. Yeah, I'm not so sure how this is all going to pan out once people get into it, whether it's something that's going to be easily ignored, whether you can't ignore it and you have to participate in this. But it's aiming to have this. And the reason all this part of your island is so important is because it's aiming to have this thing where you can visit other people's islands. So I can go to Steve's island and walk around and potentially even upgrade stuff for him. And... That's what it's kind of aiming for you to be able to do, to have this sense of like, I'm an alpha from this island, I'm an alpha from this island, and the two islands are very, can be distinct-ish. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's kind of the goal of these systems. Um, so ultimately, all of these resources funnel into your tower because it's like giving you, uh, your tower or you, is giving you either gold or resources to build things. Mm-hmm. Why would you care about this is, I think, the thing that they hit on that will make this a great game if it does become that. Mm-hmm. Because the thing that's really cool about this is not all of your enemies are small, uh, dinky, like humanoid sized things. You have big enemies in this game. Um, yeah, like enemies that make the monsters in Monster Hunter look small. <laughs> yeah. Like, they are huge. Uh, and we haven't fought some of the bigger ones yet. 
because you have to work your way up to those. But we fought some bigger ones, and that's really fun, actually. Um, I think this is like the core fun part of the game for me so far. Just plinking away at big enemies and like taking them down sometimes with your bare hands. They add an extra element to these enemies where there are power cores on them. And once you get the plating, the protective plating on the power core off, you can like clamp onto an enemy, but like much easier, comparably similar to the um, Shadow of the Colossus style and just start wailing on it with your hand in melee, just like mashing melee and whittling down, dealing massive damage to the enemy, right? So this mm-hmm. part's already cool, but when you kill enemies over a certain size, they drop so far, like trophies, and so far we've seen them drop either the extra head or like one of the giant arms. And when I say giant, I mean like when your character holds this, they hold the arm over their head and it makes it hard for you to see where you're going at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, and what do you do with these trophies? Well, you take them to an extraction point. You open a portal back to your island and these things float up into the sky and you have to guard the extraction point as you extract your trophies. This, this, this part of the loop, this part of the game is good, I think. Yeah, so that's really like the best part of the game, right? Is going out and hunting these uh, giant beasts, and then, as you said, you're taking back these these parts of them, and they get um, as they get extracted, they give you very tasty um, resources that are hard to find. Um, now, we we haven't we played a fair amount of this game, but because of the early access nature of it and we knew progress would probably get wiped and stuff. We didn't dive in past sort of the five hour mark, I guess. Yeah. Um, this will definitely be one of those games where if you play five hours, you're getting 3.8 hours on my steam. Um, uh-huh. You'll be getting towards where you open the game up. So we haven't gotten yeah, there for yet. sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it looks like each Island has its own affinity um, system where it's like, you're more likely to, in, you know, encounter these enemies and get these resources and those sorts of things. And then looking at the upgrade paths for your gauntlets and your buildings and the tower rebuilding requirements and all that stuff. Like it feels like that's going to be a very big part of this game. And we could already see that in some of the enemies that we were seeing uh, mm. come out on the field. Um, the other really interesting thing is that uh, the more that you're just like murdering and, and hurting the enemies here, like anger level rises. So then the yeah. bigger meaner enemies come and that's actually an important thing because a big part of the game is um you know extracting these resources but also as we said uh, earlier like getting boars and getting kindred to rebuild your town um so there is the potential to i'm just going to sit here and extract things um constantly um and and find more keys to unlock chests that are also heard uh, around here because anything that you find on the island you have to extract to take it back you can't just leave it doesn't come with you. I, um, I will note so, here, there are like neutral islands that the bad gods have control over. This is what we're talking about. Because we yeah. didn't bring, we only mentioned our islands uh, before. So it's not yeah, that you sorry. jump to each other's island. It's that there are neutral islands that you can group up on and like go and wreak havoc. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like then it's a case of, okay, well, um, where we're going to leave now. Oh, look, there's this awesome beast that we can get some parts from. And oh, look, there's a chest over oh, there yeah. that's got some good stuff. And, and this was already happening. It's horrible. <laughs> good. Yeah. Like in a, in a yeah. very good way. 
but yeah. So then it's like, ah, oh, well, we could we could just do this, right? We could we could handle another anger level and get some loot and yeah. go to another extraction and do the whole camp out the point and make sure that the enemies don't stop the extraction and then leave, right? And then we go to leave again and like, oh man, did you see that squid thing that just dropped? Maybe we should take that. And then we go look at like a big monster and we can't take that. So then we have to leave. <laughs> like yeah. This has a lot of just one more vibes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as as we sort of alluded to at the start of, of this, like it is definitely a little rough around mm-hmm. the edges for sure. Um, we, we did have some crashes. We did have some hangups. Um, the melee combat doesn't feel fantastic, but it's not horrible either. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the effects are pretty meh. There's hardly any music. Um, but despite all that, I still have had so much fun playing this game. Yep. I think about the game almost daily. Like I, I honestly, like if, and I, I would email the developers and find out because if my progress wasn't going to get wiped, I would go drop another 10 hours into this yeah. right now. Yeah. Like I loved playing it um, because it is this sort of almost opposite to Monster Hunter. Like Monster Hunter, you are this sort of weak human that's taking on this giant monster and the fantasy is, well, I'm strategic and smart and I can dodge and I can use my abilities well and I killed the big monster where this is, I'm this powerful flying, like you can jump in the air and leap down and shoot lightning through the ground. Badass thing. And the monster's hard on top of that. Who has to take on even bigger, more badass thing. Honestly, you want to get a feel for the game, go and look at the splash art, like on the page. The very key concept art for this is your alpha holding a gauntlet bigger than themselves over their heads. That's what we talk about yeah. when we're saying like you have to extract that. Yeah, you're you're getting that kind of stuff out as trophies from a hunt almost all the time. Yeah, so it definitely is this sort of hunt sort of like it's weird that hunting has almost become a genre in itself. And I'm not talking about like big buck hunter. I'm talking about this monster hunter dauntless sort of you know, I don't know. We don't have a genre for that. Do we call them hunters? I don't know. Monster Hunter is called um, um uh, there's a specific, there's a genre for Monster Hunter. It's um oh crap! It's like boss. Rowan will be upset at me because he mentioned this all the time. Um, <laughs> there's a specific genre where uh, it's just yeah. boss fighting, basically. So yeah. Cuphead actually this technically is... falls into this. Yeah. See, I think for me, like, yeah, you can have the technicalities, and this is why genres suck, right? Yeah. Like it, the idea of I'm going on an expedition to kill these things to get resources, like that's becoming a genre in itself and this game definitely fits into that but it also has it's not as deep down the rabbit hole as monster hunter and it also has this other town restoration revenge rebuild plot thing around it that kind of gives you a nice it gives you something really good to do in the downtime yeah right like i feel like monster hunter like you go to town and it's always like i'm just prepping for the thing and getting my upgrades to prep for the thing and like it's all about prepping and unlocking new items and this is a little bit chill this is a little bit more like well i like you could totally play this as i just want to rebuild my town and then i'm done um mm-hmm. but it does seem to have the option of if you want to like collect these specific resources to build these specific things like let's go we've got that for you and while it may not be the deepest pool of that it is a very impressive first early access build that yeah. you can tell comes, as you said, a team that understands what they're trying to make 
even though me as a developer and producer is looking at it, like, you shouldn't be able out. to make this. Yeah, I'm freaking out. Like, I look at the scope and I'm just like, y'all are nuts. Yeah, so... Um, for reference, I don't think it's as polished as... If you're, so, if you're familiar with early access games, you'll know that there's varying levels of how polished, how close to even beta or release a thing is. This isn't quite as polished as, say, Dead Cells was when it first came out. Uh, as the first early access for Dead Cells. But it's much, much more polished than some of the worst stuff out there where you're like, oh, you have the seed of an idea. The core good gameplay loop is already there. Developers always look for this play session where they can sit down and go, no, wow, this game is actually fun. They definitely already have that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, for me personally, like, I, you know, if you follow the YouTube channel, which you should, Pixels of Breakfast, uh, I play a lot of early access games. There's something for me, and I don't, even before I was a game developer, I was really interested in the early access idea mm. of seeing games when they're not, you know, putting their best foot forward a lot of the time. And what to me make that makes a really good early access is even at its like lowest form, the game is still fun and has promise of where it's going to go. That's what to me makes a really great early access game Mm -hmm. and one that can stand the test of time. The, the, The dangerous part of that is sometimes we as users put our own expectations of what the game is going to be yeah. on it, right? There's a, And that's not the case with Almighty Kill Your Gods because you can see where they're going with it. They have the systems that are not quite finished there yet. They have, you can see the scope uh, and that's, the promise is really exciting. The fun is already there. The, now the question is, are they going to be able to reach the final vision? Um I don't know if they can, but I'm having a lot of fun with what they have created. So, like, for me personally, I, I definitely... <laughs> we'll be keeping an hard, eye on right? this one, for sure. Yeah, because we were talking about, like, worth it, right? Like, it's a video series that I do. I'm, I promise you I'm not trying to plug the YouTube, like, all the time here, but... This is how we think the about idea of that. This, yeah, yeah the, the idea of that series and the reason Blue and I were playing this is because I'm making it worth it for this thing is, is the game worth you buying it now, right? Now, I know Blue is very much of the game's always going to be there, so you probably don't need to buy an early access game. And that's a totally fine um, view to have, right? Mm. But my view is I find early access very interesting. And then the question of is it worth it is are you going to get your money out of it and is it mostly decent and not going to have like, is it crashing all the time? Do you get in and there's actually like two Mm. characters and no menus? Like that's not worth it to me, right? This, this game is very much on the edge. Like, I don't think that I could wholeheartedly recommend it to everyone right now. I couldn't be like, yep, worth it. Go buy it right now. Mm. Is it worth it for me? Hell yes. Yep. Like, I'm having a lot of fun. I think it's really good. Crashes aside, you know, a few rough edges aside, I think what they have here is really, really exciting. And most um, of the stuff so they can for- just fix in time. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing here. I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be a bad game, mm. right? Like, this is just, is there's something wrong here. Um, on my side, though, I like, I would recommend it, like, if you watch a few videos and you're really liking what it's putting down, and particularly if you have a friend, or I don't even know how many players it supports, I think. Four, four. in a party, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you have a friend or two that you're like, oh, we could kill some time and talk some shit, because it feels like, yep. uh, and we mentioned this, quite a bit during our play sessions, it feels like an old MMO 
for some of those yeah. early quests because before you get to the big bosses and you're doing more of that hunting thing, it's like go and kill like these monsters and get these elements and like they're about the same size as you and like while they're powerful, they're not like insanely powerful. So you you're just, do like, not feel threatened by through them. them at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do get a little into the weeds a little bit if there's like a big mob and a tower because there are towers around that shoot elements at you. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it feels like one of those, an old MMO where you're like, go and kill the mobs in a good way though, not in a bad way, just in a really cool kind of, this is a little bit nostalgic and yeah. fun. And, and the combat is one of those games-ish. Yeah. It's a bit loose. You can kind of just turn your, turn your brain off and just shoot the shit while you're playing it and have a good time, right? Mm-hmm. The um, one concern, yeah. I, I'm reminded about this now, the one concern I do have about this game that may not get fixed in the long run, it's performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is a little bit unoptimized. Uh, a bit of my footage is chuggy. It did run a lot better while I wasn't recording it. And like yeah. that's fairly common for 3D uh, yep. early access games, yep. honestly. Uh, and and um, I only say this because... Uh, designing and building is one skill set. Optimization is actually fully another type of skill. And not all developers have that. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. We, I'm not, yes. no, not disparaging on this developer at all. I actually don't know most of their body of work. But it's unfortunate because it's an, it's an ambitious game. And one of the th- prices of ambition is a lot of systems, which means that there's a lot to do before you get there. And, uh, yeah, optimization is going to be a challenge. Yeah, and that's not to say it is horrible at at this point now, but we did have crashes. um, And I don't know if a little hot fix came, but the second session that we had, like, it definitely seemed to be running a lot better for for me, even while recording. It was likely likely an optimization boost um, just prior to early access launch uh, because we had some slightly earlier access to this game. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, I think it's really interesting. I think watch some videos. My video will hopefully be up next week. Um, Mm -hmm. You can check it out there, but go watch some streams, see what you like. Um, And if it speaks to you, then I think, yeah, you could get it now or you could just wait for the next few major updates and see see how that progresses. But for me personally, I think uh, it's a great game. Use Um, the Steam follow function. Like You can do this with Steam technically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, jump, jump on there and uh, see what you like. But yeah, that was, uh, almighty kill your gods. Uh, the last game that I'm not really going to talk too much about. Um, I started Nino Kuni, uh, on switch but... in Japanese. Yeah. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. Arigato. Uh, so, um, that means I... thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, so yeah, I, I live in Japan for, for people who are listening for the first time. Um, and I really need to learn Japanese and, uh, I'm taking it pretty seriously these days. It's a huge step Uh, to start consuming media in a foreign language. Yeah. So in, in addition to doing my, my textbook studies and and all that sort of stuff, I kind of read a manga, um, every day and I try and play 30 minutes of a game in Japanese every day. Mm. And, uh, I was playing Yokai Watch 4, but just not really into the game to be honest. Yeah. so. And I got Pokemon Sword thinking that that would be good because it's like aimed at kids and stuff. But uh, there, is, so there are two options of you could play that game entirely in Hiragana mm. um, or you can play it with Kanji. 
but with no furigana. So kanji are like, uh, in like, you know, very basic terms is the, the pictures, the, the picture type uh, characters. They look like Chinese characters. Um, and normally they will put, uh, particularly for kids media, they will put in uh, small hiragana on the top what the, uh, what the sound is, yep. um, which is really helpful for reading and all that stuff. You can't do both on um, Pokemon, which kind of sucks because on Yokai you can, but Nino Kuni has that furigana. So I've been playing through that very, very slowly. Um, I've always wanted to play that game. Um, so yeah, just started it, you know, 10 years after it came out, I think. I don't know. It's pretty old these days. Old, yeah. I remember I was, I was still a journalist at MMGN when it came out because yeah. I remember it coming into the office. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm checking that out. And, uh, Super awesome. Yeah, it seems pretty cool so far. Glad for you. My mum just died and that was pretty sad. So that's where I'm up to. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Happens. What about you, Blue? <laughs> uh, I've gotten more into Strixhaven and Magic. It's been super fun. Um, the new Monster Hunter update dropped and I'm super excited to dig into that. I've done more stuff, but I'm working myself up to like doing new content. I did some... I actually held off on a monster from the previous one and I like finally did that. And I'm like, okay, this game's just so good. Uh, I finished one campaign of Evil Genius 2. I don't think I'm going back soon, but maybe in a couple of months. Who knows? Um, Mm -hmm. Very slowly working through the Injustice 2 story mode. Um, Mm -hmm. Battlegrounds had a big update. Uh, Hearthstone Battlegrounds had a big update. Uh, Pigs got added. Uh, The Quillbores. They're... They're they're very interesting. They've they've sped the game up by quite a bit. Uh, And then, yeah. Messing around on Almighty, um, messing around on Killing Floor 2, and oh my god, I love Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite so much. That game is so fun. I am tempted to upload private videos to my YouTube so I can share some of the fun combos that I can do in that game now. Just because learning is fun. And um, I, I like learning in video games, and something about fighting games, and something about Marvel specifically, this this entry, Infinite... Man, I, I so enjoy learning in this game. Um, so that's me. It's been a good week. Um, the time it's off has week. allowed me to just diversify. And like normally I'd focus in on something, but yeah, I, I've kind of gone super wide and like put a bit more time in all the wide, in all the different things. It's been fun. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And that is the longest podcast we have ever done. Oh, by, by a while. Uh, so I, if, I blame... If you, yeah. The justice system. Yes, yes. Damn, Apple and Epic. Um, but yeah, uh, so if you've made it this far, thank you so much for thank sticking by. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah. If if you're listening on an Apple device, a review would be great. And uh, if you could tell a friend uh, who you think might dig the show, that would really help us out. Uh, make sure you go check out pixelsofbreakfast.net. We're releasing videos, podcasts, and... Uh, and in-depth articles from creators all across the industry. You can go check that out. Uh, also follow us on YouTube. I try and drop at least one video a week, uh, sometimes two. Um, so we just had uh, the scavengers video go up this week. Um, and we've got some others in the pipeline. As I said, we've got almighty kill your gods. I also just started um, uh, before we leave, uh, which is a really cool city builder. Uh, also just got a code for hundred days winemaking simulator, which looks absolutely amazing. Um, so videos of all that stuff coming up soon. Mm. Um, also Patreon, uh, as, as I mentioned, the website that we have, we have creators from all across the industry. Uh, it's not just me and blue making this stuff. And, uh, it'd be really awesome to try and, uh, pay some of them for their contributions. 
Uh, every dollar helps. It also helps us pay for our server uh, costings, the RSS feed and, you know, equipment and stuff that we want to do to make the show better and bigger. Uh, so if you could go to patreon.com, Pixels of Breakfast, you also get some access. You get access to the podcast early and review notes and a bunch of other cool things. Blue, anything you'd like to say? Um, yeah. I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but you can do it. You got this. And uh, be kind to each other out there. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. Pixel of breakfast.